0: Welcome to Solo Cleaning School. Are you ready to reshape your mindset and grow your solo cleaning business? Step into today's class with your guide, Ken Carfagno, so you can win for your family. Welcome back to the Solo Cleaning School podcast. I'm excited to share this story with you. And I literally had four working titles that I could not decide on. Because this episode is all about the optimizer's mindset. I was going to call it putting in the reps, building your routine. I was even going to use possibly a workout metaphor in the title. But then when I got to the crux of the message and of the story that I'm telling in this episode, I knew for those who have any idea who Forrest Gump is when that movie came out in 1994, that he was a very interesting character, but boy, could that guy play some serious ping pong. And when I considered the story, I knew that you thought Forrest Gump was good at ping pong. Wait till they get a load of me. All right, let's start off with this story first, and it's a cute one, but it will start to show you That mastery comes through strategic practice. So while making a secret Santa gift with my son Kai in the basement last Christmas season, I was painting meticulously. And Kai marveled and said, Wow, Dad, you're really good at that. When I get bigger, I'll be able to do it too. I said, Kai, it's not getting bigger that will make you better It's a lot of practice that'll make you better. I've been painting for 35 years. You're seven. You haven't. He got it right away. It's not how many years you've been alive. It's how many reps you've put in. Do you follow the simple mindset? As a matter of fact, there is a famous quote by Bruce Lee, and it goes something like this. I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once. But I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Oh, man, did you get that? He is known as the master of the martial arts. Bruce Lee is iconic. And what he is telling us here is that he would rather face an opponent that knew 10,000 different kicks versus one kick that he had perfected 10,000 times. That is the message and the central theme of this episode. I also was going to possibly entitle this the four levels of competence. So let's carry a mindset beginning with the first story. And let's carry this through till you get it. What Bruce Lee is talking about. So once you get better with practice, you will start to notice a phenomenon take place. Your body will just do the best version without you thinking about it. It's called unconscious competence. And it's where you have routine that is an excellent, efficient, and unbreakable. Have you ever arrived at your destination? Let's say it's a job you've been going to for a long time. And you arrive there and you don't know how you did it. You literally have no memory of it. Now, did you get into an accident? Were you driving safe? You don't even know. You don't remember. You unconsciously and competently arrived at your destination. That is mastery. Those are the four levels. That's the Bruce Lee one kick 10,000 times. It's the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant in the gym at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning practicing their free throws before... That regular practice even starts. That's how those people became great at what they do. And that's what you will need to win in anything. And it's what you're going to need to be able to optimize your solo cleaning business. And just for reference, and I won't dig into this deep right now, the four levels of competence starts with unconscious incompetence. And then it goes to conscious incompetence and then conscious competence, and then finally, unconscious competence. You want to walk through those four stages. All right, the next piece of this, it takes lots of reps or repetitions to master these four levels of competence. There's another mindset we can borrow from weightlifting too. You can bulk up with high weight and low reps, or you can build lean muscle mass with precision movements maximizing the negatives of the exercise through lower weights and high repetitions. They're two different philosophies of working out. That's what I want you to do in your solo cleaning business. In the beginning, lower the weight and work with precision slowly at first. Go through and master the four levels of competence until you reach the pinnacle Then you can switch to high weight and optimize with speed. So I'm using the metaphor of weight as how fast you are cleaning. So stop trying to clean faster and optimize when you're just starting out. You need to master your movement. You need to master your system. You need to become unconsciously competent. And I am. My routine is so locked in for years I can show up at a house or an office, turn on an audiobook, and two, three hours later, the house is done with excellence. And I don't remember it most times because I have cleaned that in my mind and in physical person thousands of times. It's the Michael Phelps story. How did he dominate in the pool for so many years, it's because he was dominating in his mind, replaying the images over and over and over again in his head of what it was going to look like, the timing of everything, and he had it all mentally rehearsed before he ever even stepped onto the diving block. It's incredible stuff, and it takes this level of commitment and discipline to achieve the fourth level of competence. So don't just think you can walk into my ISO model and think you can start optimizing in the beginning. No, you need to master what you're doing. Start slowly with meticulous movement until you get it down. Speed up after. I did an episode recently, Slow Down to Speed Up. This is another example of that. Okay, now it's time for the Forrest Gump story. As I mentioned, this movie, Forrest Gump, it came out in 1994. It's a fascinating story. The actor Tom Hanks plays Forrest, and he becomes famous in like nine different ways. It's really interesting. But one of those things that he was amazing at was the game of ping pong, the sport of table tennis. Now, this movie came out just before I was entering into college at Penn State. As a freshman, I was living up in the freshman dorms and freshman commons called East Halls, way out by the agricultural building and all the farms. So there wasn't many things to do up there. The commons, though, was a lot of fun. And in those commons, they had ping pong tables. And I loved ping pong. Had my own paddle. I was really good. In fact, in my high school... I was the best in my entire high school at the game of ping pong. Yes, how would I know that? Well, there was there wasn't any tournament, but I would play after school here and there and nobody can beat me except for one guy. Scott Shalom, if you're out there anywhere, you're the only one to best me in high school. So congratulations. Now, full disclosure, Scott is a lefty and I had trouble against a left-hander and he had some crazy spin and it's hard to return the opposite hand. The left-hander against the right, that is a tough skill. I can see why Federer struggled against Nadal so much because the lefty versus righty. It's a different angle. Anyway, that's my excuse. Scott Shalom, you beat me fair and square. I I would say that I was the best in my high school after Scott left (laughs) because he was a year ahead of me. We were tied up until then. So shout out to my buddy Scott Shalom. Back to Penn State. My freshman year, started engineering and it was difficult. How difficult was it? Well, my freshman classes had over 300 people in them, and they were forum-style seating. By my sophomore year, those same classes were down to 100 or less. Matter of fact, the engineers that left went into business, and the people that were in business called engineering pre-business. So that's how things went. It was very difficult. It weeded out a lot of freshmen. And the homework was like a crucible. It was every single night until three, four o'clock in the morning. It was brutal. I couldn't possibly work straight through, so I'd mosey to the freshman commons 11 o'clock at night, one in the morning, two in the morning, whatever, and I'd bring my ping pong paddle with me, many times just be in my pajama pants, my slippers, and I'd go to the ping pong table. I'd wait my turn, and play until I lost. That's how it worked. The winner would stay on the table accepting new challengers. After a month or two, I improved my already excellent game, and I became the best freshman ping pong player at East Halls at Penn State, 1995. Is there a little bit of arrogance there? Oh, it gets worse. Let me keep going. How did I know I was the best freshman player? Well, it works like this. I would show up at the table when I felt like it. When it was my turn, I would get on the table and I would play. And I would go back to my room or leave the table when I was done playing, meaning I didn't feel like beating anyone else. I never lost. I mean, I literally never lost. What was always fun is that there would be a pack of Chinese students and they'd be hovering around the tables And they would start to cower when I showed up. It's like, here he comes. (laughs) Yeah, the arrogance was there for sure. And they were my friends. They got to know me and likewise. And usually when I was there, it might end up being me and four of them or five guys or not not the burger place, but four or five of us. And we would just take turns or they would just take turns trying to beat me. And I would just just cycle through them one after another after another. And I would say, oh, right, guys, I got to go back and do my homework. So have a good night. And then they'd start to play again. I would leave. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the proof I needed to know I was the best in the freshman year. Now, something happened in the spring semester. The gump a named after Forrest Gump, the gump table tennis tournament came to our freshman commons. It was a single elimination bracket of 64 players, just like the NCAA tournament. I had heard about it, but I honestly just forgot to sign up. A lot of work with engineering. So I showed up after the deadline. I walked into the sign-up office, and I asked to be included in the tournament. They said, sorry, but the tournament was full. And I saw the brackets written out because they were printed on the table, and I found an opportunity as I looked through the brackets there was a qualifying round to make the bracket in other words you had to qualify to get into round one because there was too many people that were signed up I guess that's how they worked it so I simply just said this look I am the best ping pong player here and I will win this tournament put me in the first round I'll just skip the qualifying round okay I said it with such expectation and confidence, they didn't know how to respond other than, uh, okay, so they put me in the tournament even though I missed the deadline. So here's how this went. I demolished my opponents in the first, second, third, and fourth rounds. The Final Four matchup was definitely tougher. I didn't win by much, but I squeaked out the win 21-16. to This placed me in the championship round. But I wasn't playing another freshman. No, no. This was a guy I had never seen before. He was a French student with ties to the French national team. I watched him decimate his opponent in the semifinal match. So admittedly, I was a little bit nervous. I wasn't expecting to play anyone that was Olympic level. I mean, Scott Shalom, he was one challenge. But this guy was like Olympic caliber Was I going to have a chance? But I was still confident and I still believed I could because I had an equation. I had a strategy. So here's how this went down. The table was set up in the center of the commons with over 100 students surrounding us. It was like center court at Wimbledon. And here's Federer squaring up against Nadal. I am going to spare you the suspense. I won. I won the championship. But not because I was better. He was much better than me. He could out-volley me, out-slam me. He had better forearm, better backhand. But I had a better strategy and he could not figure my serve out. I won the majority of my service points and played tough defense against his onslaught of service and offense. He had put away slams that somehow I miraculously pulled out of nowhere, like balls I had no chance of getting. I got a paddle on it and it flung high in the air, and he got super big eyes. He's like, oh, I'm going to slam it down his throat, and he hit it into the net, or he hit it over the table. I got him to make the mistakes. He beat himself. How did I win the Gumpathon? Was it my ability? Yeah, Partly. I won because I put in the reps on the one part of my game that would give me the best chance to win. And there was a ceremony afterward and I was awarded first prize. Get this, here it comes drum roll but 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 but. I was awarded first prize and they handed me a Forrest Gump poster and the double CD soundtrack of the movie. Yay! Thank you so much. No gift certificate, no cash. Just a forest gumpathon souvenir or two. But I do want to thank my neighbor in the dorm room next to me, Bob, who made me a certificate that said, Congratulations, Ken, for winning the gumpathon. I proudly exhibited that on my dorm room wall, and I wish I had a picture of this stuff to to prove this because this really happened. There's no proof of it. You can't Google Gumpathon on Penn State. It doesn't show up, but I promise you it happened. If anyone is listening to this podcast with any connection to the 1996 Penn State University East Hall's Gumpathon, please let me know. I would love to connect. Maybe form an alumni committee and get a reunion together. <laughs> I can't believe I even said that. <laughs> get a reunion to the Gumpathon. All right. Let me get back to this. I want to elaborate more on how I won all of those nights and ultimately how I won the big match in the Gumpathon. I had already put in the reps and I was a master. Unconscious competence. I knew what my strength was. Nobody could return my nasty surf. That was my secret. I had a surf... That I could win 90% of my service points and play great defense on their serves. If you do the math, in a game of 21 points to win and sets of five serves each, I would get 15 to 20 serves and win 12 to 18 points on service alone. On their 15 to 20 serves, I only had to win 33 to 50% of their points. And since I was so dominant on serve, they were always playing from behind and taking more risks to catch up. I would play defense, taking my offensive strikes when I could and win every game. As long as my serve was amazing, I would never lose. Thus, I experimented with my service over and over and over and over over again. This is what I practiced. When no one was at the ping pong table, I would practice my serve. When I was volleying ground with a friend without keeping score, I would just do serve after serve and I would try to see which type of spin would create the most difficulty in returning. Usually it was my backhanded spin serve. When they tried to put a paddle on it, it would shoot way off the table. And if it did land on the table, it would always land to my forearm where I could slam it down their throat. So it was an easy setup. Are you seeing this? My strategy was to master my serve so no one could return it. Win two thirds to three quarters of a ping pong game on my serve alone, which I had full control of. And then all I had to do was win one third to one half of their points and their serves. Now they scored on me, but they only scored on their serves. This was my master strategy, and this is how I beat everyone my freshman year. This is how I beat the Chinese students that would try and dethrone me from the table. This is how I rolled through the Gumpathon tournament, and this is how I beat the French national ping pong slash table tennis player. He was amazing, but he was not used to coming from behind and playing from a deficit. Because I had first service and I took all five serves. It was five nothing and he was never able to recover. And so when you go down five nothing, you get tight, you take more risks, you got to come back and he would win a few points on his serves. It was probably six to four, me up by the time he was done his first serves. And then I would serve again, probably take four out of five, making the score 10 to five. And each time he would serve, he would take more and more risk. He would try and slam it more. He would make shots he normally wouldn't attempt, and he would go long or hit the net, or I would miraculously get one back, and he couldn't believe it. So this one game, I won. If we played 10 times, he'd probably beat me eight times out of 10 once he figured me out, but that one game, I owned him, and I won the Gumpathon. This is what it's going to take to optimize your solo cleaning business as well. You need to put in the reps of cleaning houses and offices over time and master the four levels of competence. Then, and only then, optimize your game by maximizing on your strengths. The serve is the start of the new volley. The marketing process is the start of a new high-paying client I got the clients, kept them, and then learned how to play more strategically at each client's house or office. This is what allowed me to optimize my solo cleaning business the first time around to over $100 per hour in many cases. And this is what is allowing me to do it again in my second business in Philadelphia. If you would like to be a part of the Solo Cleaning School Elite membership and learn these strategies from me directly and learn from my ISO model course, and so you can get your ping pong, I mean, so you can get your cleaning game to the gump level, then I highly encourage you to check it out. I put the link in the show notes below, but go to the Solo Cleaning School.com, click on Solo Teams, check out the Elite membership, and Click on join when you are ready. It's $50 a month, and I look forward to seeing you there. And remember, like Forrest Gump says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know which one you're going to get. Thank you for listening to Solo Cleaning School. Class is dismissed.